I didn't always want to be a teacher. In fact, when I was in college, my senior year, I was sure I would be a social worker. I talked about it all the time. I was going to finish my bachelor's and head right into a master's in social work. I wanted to help people. I knew that much. But I had an eager professor my senior year who met me and we talked a lot. At one time after class, he had walked me to my car and he said, I really, really don't want you to be a social worker. You have too much energy. You should spend it somewhere else. You'll burn out as a social worker. And it's funny when I think back on that conversation, that was it. Something that I had planned to do for three years changed. I believed him and I trusted him. And I certainly didn't want a job that burned me out. So I went into the corporate world. I was a headhunter and a recruiter and ended my corporate years as a corporate trainer and recruiting in the human resources department before I got pregnant with my first daughter. During that time in corporate, I wrote our employee equal opportunity employment plan. Because I hired scientists and engineers, some of the outreach work we did was in schools. And I would drive to schools and sometimes enter the main lobby, just file some paperwork and look around, nothing too serious. But when I went in there, I thought it seemed like such a magical place, an amazing job to have, something that I longed for. So in the years that I stayed home with my daughters, I went back for my master's in education. I thought, if I have to leave them, I want to do a job I love, a job that means something. And so I got my master's in teaching and my master's in special education, and I became a teacher. And it was great, and it was something magical. And then slowly, but surely, the parts of education that you don't see in the main lobby and the parts of education that they don't talk about in your teacher prep programs became a reality for me. The over-testing, contracts, and union fighting, colleagues talking and bickering, all of these things, all of these stressors, the things I didn't realize when I was in corporate became very apparent. And as I said in episode one of Teacher Burnout, it became a job that I no longer wanted to do. And there were a lot of people like me. There still are. And so today, we're going to start a series. We're going to meet people you come across in school. A lot of these people have moved on. They've lost their jobs. They've resigned. They've retired. But they just saw a side of education that no one really talks about. Today, we're going to talk to our union rep. The guy or gal that handles all the issues inside your building. It's a stressful job. But sometimes, those who represent us in our unions sign up for a lot more than they bargain for. Welcome to Faculty Room. Hey 
Hey, and welcome back to Faculty Room. I am your host, Mayor. This week, it's going to go a little bit differently. This week, I am featuring a teacher story. Teacher stories are going to be interspersed throughout Faculty Room. So some episodes will feature a topic of the day, and some will be dedicated to a particular person in education story. It could be a teacher, it can be an administrator, a board member, a parent, somebody that has a tie into education that can offer a different lens. This week, we're talking to the union rep. All stories are anonymous, and not because these people don't want to say who they are, but it's what happened to them that we want you to pay attention to more. I don't want the story to be about Mary teaching third grade in California. I want the story to be relatable to anybody to anybody listening, to things that they already know are going on, to things that they didn't realize go on. And then it offers a new perspective to think about things a little differently. This week, we're talking to the school's union rep. I know there are states out there that don't have unions, the right to work states. I'm not from one of those. I'm from New Jersey. In New Jersey, we're union strong. In fact, our education association is one of the strongest in the country. It's powerful. If you actually looked up some of the news stories on NJEA, so powerful that we made a lot of headlines back during a governor's race. We have unions in New Jersey. A lot of teachers work under a contract. We have tenure and we have non-tenure. And when you have these things, you need representation. Everything we do in our schools is bound contractually. Sometimes these contracts get broken. Sometimes there are loopholes in the contracts that you need to be aware of. That's when your local rep comes into play. A union representative is a powerful person inside a district. They're there for the teachers. They're there to make sure that the contracts are being followed. They do not get paid for this job. They do the job because they believe that the contracts that all their teachers in their district are bound by are important and should be honored. So when you sign up to be a union rep, you sign up to fight for the teachers. But sometimes you get a little more than you bargained for. Today, I want you to meet the union rep. The first part of his story is all about how the union rep wasn't really on his plate at first. He just wanted to teach. All right, so I started teaching in 2000. I taught for 15 years and I bookended elementary for five years in the beginning and five years at the end there. And I taught English high school uh, for five years in the middle. And when I started out, I was an alternate route teacher. I went and we would go once a week to a university and get lots of mentorship. And there was actually, it was a good program because it brought people from the private sector in and um, you had a, a year-long mentor. I had somebody in my classroom in the beginning uh, for the first 30 days and you, we really did get a lot of great support. And it began a love affair with teaching, for sure. Um, 
we did a lot of project-based learning. I had a a fairly, I guess, permissive principal who allowed for experimentation. In fact, I remember she would tell us that, you know, your, your textbooks are a resource, you know, that you're kind of trying to bring them uh, to life to pull the information out of there and, you know, create something with it that the kids can engage with. And we did a lot of that. I was a big fan of Dewey and I had a a young male colleague in the fifth grade, which was uncommon. In fact, we were the only two male teachers in the in the building, but uh, we did a lot together. We did a lot of project-based learning, um, and it was it was a good atmosphere. It was a good environment. The morale was high. Um, I taught inclusive uh, education, so I had a special education teacher with me, um, and we had a good relationship too. And we had um, we did a lot of pre- professional development together. We took a graduate course on balanced literacy. And I think it was a good time to be a teacher. And um, I had always wanted to be, I was an English major, so I always wanted to be an English teacher. And I, the opportunity arose. And I found myself at a high school teaching English. A lot of inclusion there, too. I taught three sections of um, special education inclusion. So I had a team teacher there. And we had a great relationship, too. I remember Karen well, and we're still friends. And uh but it was during that time at the high school that I became involved with the union. Uh, I sort of found myself thrust into it uh, during a contract negotiation. And um, yeah, I had a, I guess I had something to say. And at that time we were fighting about, you know, fighting for co-pays to be kept low and our pension contributions to be kept reasonable. And I had written some articles that got picked up in the local papers, explaining why I thought those were important fights for our public teachers and uh, public school teachers. Um, and before I knew it, I was the head rep of the high school and then found myself in contractual uh, fights and, in, in, you know, in battles with administration about uh, everything from school policy to the bonus periods that would pop up. You know, there's all these, I guess, little little areas of the contract that become interesting when you are at a high school and you're seeing and, and dealing with those types of issues that pop up. But uh, so, yeah, my focus during that time was much more stressful than those first few years at the elementary school where you're working on project-based learning mm-hmm. and Dewey and how do we make Dewey come alive. So, um, yeah, and it was a difficult uh, time to... I guess, be that union person, because I I really, we had an extra prep period being the head union guy, but every one of my preps, I had people knocking on my door and finding out where I was because they had a discipline issue in the classroom and they didn't feel the administration had dealt with it the way they liked, or they were hoping to get that extra class period and they can't figure out why the supervisor seemingly handed it to somebody else. It wasn't posted properly and they didn't have a chance to apply for it. And so, you know, we had to file agreements about that. I had security guards who were having a hard time with their security supervisor about managing, uh, you know, the shifts and, and, and who was supposed to work when and get that overtime. So it was a lot. It was definitely a full-time job on top of my teaching position. Plus I was also the senior class advisor. So I was taking on a lot at that time. You know, you're the young, I think 30 year old teacher. And so you, you want to try and do as much as you can, but uh, definitely, it definitely was a uh, stressful time. What's funny sometimes about your job 
or maybe about life in general, is it all seems pretty routine. The daily things you do, the people you talk to, just your entire day goes along and not much happens. But every now and then, big things shift. In this particular district, one year, the shift came when a new superintendent came into the district and changed everything. So when a principal who I knew personally had an opening at an elementary classroom, I jumped at it and found myself back in fifth grade, um, happily, not working with the union in a specific capacity. Um, And at the same time, that same year, uh, a new superintendent joined the district. And that was the beginning of a climate change in the schools and a shift in morale um, that I hadn't seen before in our in our district. But, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like the superintendent often has a palpable effect in the classroom, but uh, this one crept in pretty quickly, too. Um, there were just massive shifts in curriculum, um, new demands in terms of data collection and assessment and pacing and reporting out uh, new demands in terms of how you would use your prep time to uh, professionally develop or work on new software initiatives. There was always something coming. They collected books that they didn't want being used in the classroom, literally came around with carts and, and took... Um, yeah, these were, I, I guess you would call them uh, mentor texts that were, you know, it was good stuff. The um, Shelley Harwin, Balanced Literacy, a lot of um, really good stuff. And we just said, no, we're not doing that anymore. We've got a new curriculum. And, and that, I guess that is their prerogative to shift curriculum from the administrative side. But um, it was fast. It was quick. And um, and the oversight was strict. So I guess that was the first thing that got me interested in getting, again, back into a leadership capacity with the association and finding a way to speak to power and and just say like I guess my my premise was always allow teachers to share best practices to talk about what's working um, with the support of your your building principal and your supervisors and and we did have a lot of that in our district we had a you know we had curriculum resource teachers we had good people around but they ultimately became co-opted on again this agenda which was um we had a lot of consultants coming in to tell us how to boost test scores. There were action plans for principals that demanded uh, a, a singular focus on these kids who were on the margins of proficiency. So for you know two months prior to testing, we'd be asked to submit our plan about how we're going to target these five or six kids who are right on the bubble and what can we do every day and, and literally had to map out what will we do every day for two months to to help those specific kids, and we'd report it out, um, which, you know, a lot of us were, we were doing the small group instruction and trying to do the best things for those students that, again, would fall under best practices, but uh, this sort of micromanaging approach, and it was all, it was all to boost these um, perceptions in, in the data, in the standardized testing data. That was the, that was the big shift, and so as I tried to 
advocate for teachers and advocate for best practices, uh, I guess I, I kind of figured out that I was drawing the attention of administration, that they were not happy, that there was somebody speaking back to them. Um, and what ultimately became uh, my most public argument was about uh, technology classrooms that classrooms that got launched <clears throat> seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, usually if there were a, a new position or a new pilot program, you'd hear about a posting or you'd hear about a workshop that was happening over the summer that you could apply for or get become part of. Um, this was not that. Uh, this was a sort of um, initiative that the superintendent launched where he poured a ton of money into two classrooms and every kid got a laptop. It was completely refurnished. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars in technology and furniture was just dumped into a classroom uh, that would be, quote, paperless. And it sounds okay, I guess, if there's a way to understand, you know, where this is coming from, how it's going to be implemented, who gets access to it. And so these were the types of questions that I had. Where's the funding coming from? You know, is this a board initiative? So I had these sort of questions, not only as a teacher, but a taxpayer. And so I figured, all right, I'll try to arrange a meeting with the superintendent to talk about that. And I got shut down. I mean, I got these emails back that not only would I not be <laughs> um, allowed to meet with the superintendent, but that basically my opinion didn't matter. And so I was pretty discouraged and a little ticked off about that notion of, well, you know, what is the avenue for trying to get answers to programs that are kind of coming down unilaterally? Within the association, we had an elementary roundtable, and so... I brought those concerns through there. Um, and still this program marches forward. So I finally decided, let me write an, uh, you know, an opinion about it. Let me write a post explaining why I think this is such a bad idea. Because it really amounted to a few fourth graders basically winning the lottery as they moved into fifth grade. It was um, it, You couldn't even really compare it to a charter school because just you know nobody really knew who was going to land in these classrooms. And... Um, so the hypocrisy of it all, the unfairness, the, you know, we talk about, I think our <laughs> district motto was something like equity and excellence or something like that, you know, that this was not an equitable decision. It wasn't fair for kids. It wasn't fair for teachers and, and, and staff. It was just a strange thing. So anyway, that's when I started speaking out publicly and that got picked up. Then we had a principal in another school who I had worked with prior. She was a CRT when I started as an elementary teacher, and she was fired again basically because of test scores. And, you know, um, I was vocal about that, and I, I don't think people like that. that well, certainly the administration didn't like that because the quote in the paper from the administrators was like, yeah, well, you know, these test scores matter, and it's time people learn that kind of, you know, thing. And I thought, and then the people from the community were lining up in support of this teacher to talk about how compassionate she was and what a great environment she had fostered for these young people in her elementary school. And that didn't seem to matter for very much. And then, you know, so you, you do learn that there are some administrators who like to poke people in the chest and just move chess pieces around um, to show that they can. And that's what this seemed like. It was like, well, we'll, sh you know, we'll show you what happens um, and how we use this test score data to send a message. And it was not a message that I liked at all. I thought it was the wrong message about people, about community, about public schools and what their focus should be and what their goals and achievements ought to be measured, you know, how they ought to be measured. So 
Uh, so I wrote a piece about that. That got picked up. Um, and that, I think while that was gaining traction in the press, uh, that I was gaining their attention, I, I was told that my personnel file was pulled. My mother was a friend of the secretary who worked in the office. They're like, yeah, they're looking at your personnel file. So that was about, um, you know, in my fourth year at that uh, elementary school. But uh, I guess looking back at it, it's, um, you know, it, it's it's a hard thing to be a union advocate if you're dealing with an administration that uh, is that bent on marching forward with their agenda. And so uh, if you are faced with a bureaucratic kind of process that, wants to steamroll you, you know, it's, it's a challenge. It is. I, I listened to this Gary Vaynerchuk, who is an entrepreneur and he's an interesting guy. And I, he was asked a question by a teacher about, you know, affecting change in a positive way. And he basically suggested the guy just, you're not going to change the bureaucracy. Your, your best bet is to, in your eight hours out of school before you go to bed is to try and build something that's, your vision, because, you know, if you're kind of in this quixotic battle with administrators trying to uh, attack windmills, it's going to eat you up. So um, I I wish I had that advice maybe when uh, I was doing uh, as much as I was trying to do, but really because of what I felt was the best for my town, for my schools, for the the kids, the, you know, the community. So, um, yeah. Looking back, it was uh, quite an interesting time. I think before we go on with the story, it's important I take a break here and remind you, we need union reps in buildings where a teacher is bound by a contract. We need these important people. This isn't the story of every union rep. This isn't the story of every superintendent. This is one particular story that can open your eyes to the downside of representing teachers and being involved in your union. But I think that it's important work. And I think that there's a way to look at the work and not get lost in it. So let's hear about ways that we can still represent our teachers and still stand up and fight for the best for our teachers and our kids without getting so lost in the weeds. So ultimately... If you are thinking of becoming a union advocate and speaking out about uh, the failures of bureaucracy in your town or the perhaps misplaced mission um, that's getting rolled out, uh, I think it's also important to note that we're looking back at the Common Core fight that was going on at that time. So... Um, that was a sort of unique situation. And I think as I was in it, it seemed so big. You know, it was like, this is the fight. This is where we need to put our energy. We need to push back for the sake of children. And a lot of people were thinking that. And it wasn't like this was, 
my idea. You know, there were great, you know, Diane Ravitch is blogging about it in New York and, you know, calling out just the, the falsehoods that were being pushed down teachers' throats regarding standardized testing and achieving proficiency and all of these things that were just so damned important. And, um, you know, <laughs> I think as older teachers would tell me when I first started, like it's a pendulum and it swings back and forth. And, you know, these fads come and go in education and, you know, every few years, the next fad's going to come through and uh, you just have to be patient. And uh, I think the a fight was important, I think, to speak back against a lot of the things that, again, were really harming kids. There was just too much being asked of them and vis-a-vis teachers, because if you're the foot soldier for these agendas, then you become the foot soldier for really unreasonable assessments and... Um, so those, those, that's an important fight. That's, I'm, I'm not saying that you walk away from those fights and don't advocate for your kids, um, but also keep an eye on the bigger picture and see the forest from the trees in the sense that all of those administrators and much of the curriculum that was pouring down at that time is gone. It's all gone. The people are gone. The ideas are gone. Now, granted, a lot of the names have changed and they're very similar, and it was that Two, uh, when it came, you know, it was rehashed Dewey or it was rehashed, you know, um, Hirsch, you know, cl- you know um, <clears throat> um, cultural literacy, stuff like that. So, um, but it comes and goes. And so just kind of, I guess, keep your eye on your classroom uh, at the end of the day. And probably if I had to do it differently, um, I wouldn't have gotten so exasperated about the ineffectual avenues that the union was offering Mm -hmm. you know these round tables for elementary teachers to come and air their concerns and grievances that would then be echoed up to administration and you know and and it would echo it would just echo out right out the window (laughs) nobody would listen to it but um yeah at least you know you got a chance to vent with your other uh, elementary colleagues and say what was going on i i think i maybe wanted too much in terms of results, you know, like I want to see this stop. And I'm, I was writing a lot too, I, you know, so I wasn't just writing for the papers, but also for these administrators to say, look, here's why I think this is a bad idea. They didn't like that very much either because again, you know, and in, in maybe you'll have to kind of take your own temperature here with the people that you're uh, trying to, I guess, um, I don't even know if it's a negotiation, but if the people that you're working with is, um, you know, how receptive are they to this dialogue? I, there was no dialogue in this district so at that time. Um, so I guess it would have been hard for me to just wait it out and see how long until the he goes to his next job or she goes to her next job and uh, the new wave of administration comes through. But um, to some degree, if you're, you know, if there is no dialogue going back and forth, if it's a, a really rigid bureaucracy, um you know, just keep plugging away and do the best you can in your classroom and, and kind of knock on the, the union doors and and hope that your your voice gets heard and maybe, you know, some ripples do take place and um, slow things down a little bit. But um... as many of you already know, I don't teach anymore. I left the classroom a year ago. And I moved on to another job. When I put in my resignation letter, I was done. 
I couldn't do it another minute. Everything got to me. The testing, the requirements, the paperwork, all of it bogged me down. And I did lose that light. I lost the focus of why I got in it in the first place. But there isn't a day that I don't think about it, that I don't interact with the teacher on Twitter or an old colleague, and I reminisce. All of us who left, we do sometimes. It doesn't mean we want to jump back into it, not right away at least. But there were so many good things, looking back, that we remember. Everyone here has a story. Some of our stories are harder than others. Some of the struggles are deeper. But when we all look back, we do miss a lot of what was so great about education. As far as my 15 years of teaching is concerned, you know, it's it's not a zero sum. In, in a way, I feel like uh, my narrative of who I was as a teacher kind of got robbed from me mm-hmm. uh, because I and and I mean they, nobody can really do that because I do have all the correspondences and those you know warm fuzzy notes that you get from past students who reach out and tell you <clears throat> what an important role you had in their life. And I've had some really meaningful conversations with former students uh, who are now in their 20s and who talk about what they were going through in uh, the time that they were in my classroom. And, uh, you know, it's touching. So I definitely miss that because I knew, you know, I, I knew this one girl when she was in fifth grade whose father died that year. He was, in, you know, battling alcoholism. And I reconnected her when she was in art school in New York. And it was like, you know, do you realize like what a what a role you played at that time? So, um, and I, I I did like I knew like she just needed somebody who was going to be encouraging and happy to see her every morning, and um, so that that part of it, that greeting and the kids. So you know, like hey, you're you know you're a swimmer. How was your meet? How was the little league? How's the wrestling going? All that stuff. Really taking an interest in their lives. And finding out about it on a daily basis and to see that growth. So there's a lot to enjoy. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, when I talk about the stressfulness of the high school and the, and the stress during that last administration and as I was working through with the union, it took its toll physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it, I definitely had, uh, you know, some health issues as a result of it. And, and some of that has gotten better. So I don't miss that part of it. But um yeah, I think that those relationships with students, they'll, that'll keep you going. And, and this faculty, too. You know, I had some great colleagues. And when I had spare moments, I wasn't so much, I think, what's the, your podcast is, is the, faculty. the faculty room. And um, I, I never found myself getting trapped in too much negativity in the faculty room. In fact, I, the, the, the fond memories I have in the faculty room with staff too were conversations about how kids were doing and and um, <clears throat> what they were seeing and you know I, I remember I'm thinking specifically about the reading specialist who would be working with some of my kids I'd often go and eat lunch with her and um, you know sure you, you're gonna gossip and talk about the you know oh boy this is driving me nuts or that's driving me nuts so you get that part and that's good that's good therapy 
Um, but we were also talking about what's working. You know, what are what are these among these resources that are getting dumped? You know, what's good, and, and what can we pull out of it? And I guess you know, and that might be the message too. Is yeah, you know, keep advocating, but also keep looking for what's good. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, try to live with the bad as much as you can. So, um, yeah, they're definitely some good memories, and uh, I think at the end of it all, it's important to just. Uh, you know, leave whatever you're dealing with at the door. And I always felt like I did a, a good job. And I, I think if you see the criticisms that came or, you know, how they attack union advocates, it's usually about, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with teaching, you know. So, you know, keep doing a good job. Keep uh, putting your kids first and listening to what they're going through and and uh, thinking about what they need and try to put together the best program. So that's, that's what I miss is because I think I was pretty good at that, you know, and I, I think most uh, indicators would agree with my somewhat uh, <laughs> immodest opinion of myself. But, uh, you know, I do, I, I think I was a good teacher and uh, I definitely had good relationships. And so that's, that's what I miss. And I hope, uh, I hope people out there are still working on building good relationships with their kids and, and, uh, and talking about the good things that they see and uh, pushing it forward that way. We don't all have the same story, but we all have a story. And after you leave the job and you think about a story that you want to tell, I think what we gravitate towards is where our heart lied in the job. With this person, his heart was in helping others, fighting for fairness, fighting for equity, and fighting for answers. It was hard, and obviously it got to him. But I think it's also important to notice that there were times, looking back, where maybe he wouldn't have fought so hard for certain things and maybe would have focused his efforts on others. The point of hearing our stories is not to say, that would never be me, or I would never do that, but just to simply Listen, we're all in this together. We're all fighting for something bigger than us. And in the end, we're all just really there to do what's best for kids. Thanks for listening. See you again next week. Okay, so we've come to the end of the episode. This is when I do a Twitter roundup and talk about things happening on Twitter. Remember, if you are not on Twitter as an educator, you need to get on Twitter. There are a lot of people to meet, a lot of conversations, a lot of chats happening. Even if first you just hop on to watch, you can find me at Mayor Servanek on Twitter. Um, It really is a great place um, to keep you motivated and feeling inspired and just build up your PLN. And I talk a lot about that in episode one. But people that were slaying it this week on Twitter, one of them was my friend, Mike Washburn. Um, his handle is at Mr. Washburn. He is up in Barry, Ontario, and he hosts this podcast um, at On Education Pod with his friend, um, Glenn Irvin Flores. Um, 
I hope I pronounced that right. And his handle is at Irv Spanish. Um, I love their podcast. They kind of go back and forth. They talk about some political things. They have guests on their show. And Mike was just doing a keynote um, recently. And he kind of like created a hashtag for the keynote called What's Your Backflip? And it was so cool. Please check out his page. Please listen to at on ed podcast. And um, they've actually put the audio of that um, keynote on there. It's so inspiring. It is so cool. It's probably one of the best keynotes I've heard. Um, Totally incredible. Great guys, great content, super funny, super energetic. I love them, love them, love them. Um, And of course, I'm going to bring up my friends one more time, Inspire Citizens. They had their Global Youth Media Summit in Seoul, Korea. Um, And oh my Gosh, I mean, talk about an inspiration. They are at Inspire Citizen 1 and at Inspire Citizen 2. That is Steve and Aaron. Um, They run Inspire Citizens and the work that they just did in Seoul with friends of theirs that run a podcast called Out of the Blocks. It's about kids finding their voice, kind of learning about who they are and telling stories. Um, But really, it's, I really describe it as almost like this Humans of New York version um, of storytelling. And they go into Seoul um, and interview um, people that live there and tell stories. And I've seen a lot of Steve's work from past Global Youth Media Summits and Oh my gosh, that is the kind of work that we should all be doing. It is incredible. It is inspiring. Check it out. There's so many pictures um, and there's so many links to his work and the work that they're doing. And please, America, get that work over here because that is what our kids need to be a part of. I think so many of our children um, would be inspired not only by that sort of media, of audio and visual storytelling, um, but it empowers kids to use their voice to find others' voice. And check out the Out of the Blocks podcast too. It is incredible. You feel like you're taking a trip to Baltimore and meeting the people that live um, on the blocks and at the corner and at the local barbershop. I love that podcast. It's so brilliantly done. Um, And Wendell kind of does these Um, musical mixes in the background. It's incredible. I love it. Um, Yeah, so that's it. There is um, not a lot of events coming up that I'm aware of or that I am going to. There's a couple of um, ed camps, I think, coming up, but the link is in my profile. So check that out. And that is it. Thank you so much for tuning into episode three. I know it was a little different. Next week, we will be back. Um, I have a co-host with me next week, so you will get to meet him. And it's all good things. If you would like to be on the next episode of Faculty Room, please send me a message on Anchor or send me a message in my DMs on Twitter. All stories are anonymous. Any story you want to tell, if you are in education, still in education, left education, anything that you want to share with me, I am willing to share with the world. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, and I will see you soon. Take care.